0: Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending November 19th, 2022. This week, who is Silk and what is MGM Plus? I'm Kim Hollis, really enjoying the Twitter series finale. <laughs> also, Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer, ready for stuffing and mashed potatoes.
1: Turkey is overrated. Side dishes are where it's at.
0: Mm-hmm. Also, David Mumpower, author of Disney Demystified, Streaming Media Analyst, and asking for everyone to go all in on Streaming Into the Void 2.0. You'll have much longer hours and more of my yelling in your ear,
2: but it'll be totally worthwhile in the end, I swear. Who's with me? I quit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Buriel, who can no longer toot publicly.
3: Oh, just try to stop me.
0: (laughs) In our deep dive this week, Sony's making a big move as they sign a deal with Amazon to bring multiple Spider-Man live action series to MGM Plus and Prime Video. What can we expect to see come out of this deal?
2: Well, people have to figure out what MGM Plus is, which will not be easy, (laughs) especially since it doesn't even exist yet. I'll certainly try. They've already
3: announced their first series based on the Spider-Man character Silk. The series has been in the works for some time with Angela Kang of The Walking Dead as showrunner. Apparently, it'll play on MGM Plus on cable, not on the streaming service. Before then going to Prime Video, if you're wondering what MGM Plus is and how it is that there is a cable version and a streaming version, it's because right now you know it as Epix, E-P-I-X. It'll be rebranded as MGM Plus in January. Yes, both the streaming service and the cable channel will be called MGM Plus.
2: Yeah, I'm just going to reiterate this because what Raul just said is confusing enough when you just read it out loud. It's going to play on MGM Plus which isn't MGM Plus yet and won't be until January. Right now, it's Epix. And by the way, MGM Plus, while it sounds like a streaming service and will be a streaming service, isn't a streaming service in this scenario. Instead, it's referencing the current linear cable channel, Epix. And I want to be clear here, it has to go on Epix first because like Roel said, you guessed it, folks, it's a licensing nightmare. And out of all of them, nothing is more of a nightmare than Sony Spider-Man rights.
3: Yeah, that's right. I don't know the exact nuance of this, but apparently before Silk can play on a streaming service, in this case, Amazon's Prime Video, it must play on linear, either on broadcast or cable. And in this case, it's going to be playing on the cable channel, MGM Plus, formerly known as Epix. I do have to ask you, David, what does all this mean for the prospects of Disney ever getting the Spider-Man license back?
2: Uh, (laughs) Hey now, hey now, don't dream, it's over. Uh, If you lived in the 80s, you'll get that. I don't know even what to say at this point. There was a time not that long ago where we fully expected Disney to get its house in order and to make a bid to Sony to take back the Spider-Man rights. I can assure you that's not going to happen for a long time now. I don't like to say if ever because ever is hundreds of years. But let me be clear. It's five years away at a minimum, probably 10 or 15 years now because Amazon has just opened its deep pockets for all of the characters that Sony owns. And because of that, Disney isn't bidding against for Sony, the kind of semi-independent content creation system. Instead, they're bidding against Amazon and all the deepest pockets this side of Apple. So there's no winning that for Disney.
3: Yeah. And you mentioned all the characters that Sony owns. Apparently, this Spider-Man universe that Sony controls has over 900 characters. 900 characters.
2: Yeah. Uh, hold on a second. Name three.
3: Um, There's the, <laughs> there's the one Spider-Man and then there's that other. Spider-Man. There's Spider-Man. There's at least three different Spider-Mans.
2: I'm going to go ahead and interrupt Raul right here because they're so desperate for stories at this point. I'm not joking. The Silk origin story is, imagine if Peter Parker had a female student in his class who got bitten by the same radioactive spider that day. I swear to God, I'm not making that up. That is the origin story of Silk, and that's the best thing they can come up with because, let's be honest, it is not now, nor was it ever Morbin time.
3: That's right. With with 900 <laughs> characters, I assume that means they don't have to be going back to the Morbius well anytime soon. It should be noted that Phil Lord and Chris Miller, along with Amy Pascal, are the three people in charge of the Spider-Man universe. So they do have some talented people running this operation. I just... Feel This is getting a little too messy. And for folks who want to continue seeing Spider-Man show up in like the Avengers movies, it's seeming less and less likely that that deal is going to carry on for much longer.
2: We've actually heard kind of rumblings of this for a while because for a long time there was a project on the front burner that was Black Cat and Silver Sable, who are technically enemies of Spider-Man, but in the same way that, you know, Catwoman is an enemy of Batman. There was a thought that they were going to star in not just one, but possibly multiple movies. And now it looks like that project is going to be one of the things that gets pushed over to this new MGM Plus thing. And we should not undersell what this means. For MGM Plus, because while we are laughing about it, because the whole thing is just such a confusing mess, and I don't look forward to having to explain it to, you know, friends and family members, the reality is they have just tried to do for MGM Plus what Disney has already done with Disney Plus in propping it up with Marvel Cinematic Universe characters. Now there are going to be Sony stories told by famous storytellers, like the woman who has been the showrunner for The Walking Dead for the past three seasons, who are going to be creating this exclusive content for. A linear cable channel that honestly doesn't matter. It's going to die at some point soon. But also for MGM Plus, which Amazon just cut a multi-billion dollar check to acquire. I guess I should say acquire and create. God, this is confusing.
3: Speaking of confusing, Kim, what's going on over at Warner Brothers Discovery?
0: Over at Warner Brothers Discovery, as noted last week... With a lot of the shakeups behind them, executives at the studio are starting to open up more. This week, CEO David Zaslav spoke about the weakness in ad revenue and "quote right-sizing" HBO Max.
3: We all love the word "right-sizing." It's it's <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's always such great. a positive thing. Yes. Why <laughs> right here is it? <laughs> The ad revenue news isn't a surprise. A lot of the channels that make up Warner Brothers Discovery come from the Discovery side of the house. And if you've ever watched a show on Discovery Channel or any of its sister channels, you'll note that they're not exactly the big dollar ads you see on broadcasts. The crown jewel at Warner Brothers Discovery is HBO. And HBO is famous for never having ads. That's what HBO is. And as as Zaslav indicated during their earnings call a few weeks ago, launching an ad tier to the HBO Max streaming service. Service hasn't really driven subscribers to jump from the more expensive ad-free tier to the more affordable ad-supported tier. HBO subscribers seem to have become accustomed to paying more for a premium product without ads. Broadly speaking, Warner Bros. Discovery just is not making a lot of money off of advertising.
2: That's the thing about it. It's almost as if David Zasloff, who wasn't running HBO at the time, didn't know much about HBO at the time and assumed it would work exactly like Discovery. Hey, when they announced this transaction, what was the thing we said would happen? Oh, oh, wait, I remember. It was that Discovery would have no idea what it was doing with the HBO content because it's not low rent garbage 2 a.m. crap. (laughs) It is actually content people want. They don't know how to sell that. They don't know how to market that. And it has been on display this entire time. Now they're discovering financially there is a penalty for stupidity. I feel like we've learned a lot about CEOs in the last month or two. <laughs> Thank God for them, right, Tim? They're saving the economy. Absolutely, job
3: creators. <laughs> I think this is a testament to what David said that the only place that Warner Bros. Discovery can expect ad growth is right now from their sports broadcasting, we're talking about TNT and TBS. These are channels that show the NBA, that show the NHL, that have March Madness. This is the only place that they're actually going to be expecting ad growth in the coming months. I don't doubt it. I, In fact, I'm totally in
2: accordance with that. You just have to laugh rather than cry. There was a John Malone interview the other day where he is trying to sound like he has his finger on the pulse and he has everything figured out and nobody should worry because as we've said all along, he is the puppet master and Zaslav is just the moron on the string. Well, with Malone now, he isn't happy about how much NBA sports rights cost. He isn't happy about how much NCAA sports cost Because, hey, he wants the advertising money and everything else, but he wants it to be without the expenses. And it makes me wonder if he's ever looked at a spreadsheet before. Hey, folks, do you get money for nothing in any corporate scenario? Any
3: of them? I do love how Malone basically threatened Netflix and told them to stay out of sports. He was warning them, saying that it's going to be a very costly endeavor. Yeah, what it's going to be is going to be very costly for Warner Brothers Discovery. If Netflix starts bidding on sports rights, like, say, the next NBA contract, Warner Bros. Discovery will have to pay more to retain the NBA. And that's the last thing they want.
2: Malone is a guy who has basically been running without competition his entire career. He figured out inroads into the cable markets that were brilliant. I will never undersell the genius of his approach. However, he did it in ways where he could game the system, so to speak. There is no gaming the system now. He is running up against other competitors. And as near as I can tell, you're right, Roel. His only hope is maybe I can bluff Netflix out of the pot. No, no, you can't.
3: When you've got the short stack and you're playing against the chip leader, he could basically bully you around. And right now, Netflix is the leader here. They could do whatever they want. If they want to bid on the NBA, they will bid whatever they want on the NBA. And a company like Warner Bros. Discovery that right now is pinching pennies and hemorrhaging money left and right, they better hope that Netflix doesn't come in and say, "Yeah, yeah, I think we want the NBA rights. I do have to touch on that right sizing for HBO Max. Zaslav makes a lot of hay about the fact that people aren't watching most of the content on HBO Max. Most viewership is monopolized by only a handful of popular shows. That's just the nature of the beast here with HBO Max. So far, this has resulted in some of the less watched shows being actually purged entirely. We've talked about this, especially a lot of the Cartoon Network shows, which just have disappeared. But now they're making noise about licensing these shows up on a non-exclusive Basis to others. And I don't know if I can fault them for this. If these shows aren't a driver of subscribers, then sure, why not keep them on your platform and still make a few extra bucks by allowing them to appear on another platform?
2: Yeah, this is something that we explored a long time ago. And I think that it is really coming back in terms of importance, which is it is okay to license out your content. It really is, as long as it's not exclusive. If somebody else wants to write you a check and say, we will share, you should absolutely do that. And this was the point we made way, way back with Peacock on The Office. If they had worked with Netflix, they could have said, we have The Office, and then they could have kept getting Netflix's money, which, by the way, we've seen the financials now, and we know they desperately need it. This is the same approach here. If they're saying, we literally cannot afford to air this, so we're going to stop, you can prevent that by saying, but if we found somebody to supplement the income. And that is what they're starting to warm to, and frankly, we've been conflicted about this all along. Roller, are you saying that at this point, you're okay with it now? Because we weren't always. We should admit that.
3: Sure. If the alternative is for them to just pull the shows from their streaming service but not have it appear anywhere, that's just, that's absurd. I feel the goal should remain that a company's streaming platform is the destination for all their content. If they happen to license out portions of that content elsewhere on a non-exclusive basis, okay, that makes sense. If you want to license out Bugs Bunny and Fred Flintstone and Scooby Doo cartoons to Netflix, so long as we know that you could still go to HBO Max and watch all of the Bugs Bunny episodes and all of the Fred Flintstone cartoons, yeah, sure, go ahead and make a few extra bucks by licensing out some of the content over to Netflix. It's when you're licensing stuff out on an exclusive basis. We saw this with the Harry Potter movies. They're bouncing around left and right. They're on Peacock, they're on HBO Max. They're on Peacock, they're on HBO Max. As a subscriber of streaming services and you happen to want to watch the Harry Potter movies, where are you supposed to go tomorrow? You can't say for sure because they keep licensing it out on an exclusive basis. And that is proving to be counter to consumer culture. Your viewers are getting irritated by behavior like that. You can't be doing that.
2: The other thing I'll add here, it isn't just HBO Max that is in this situation. As a matter of fact, the reverse is also true of them. We pulled it up the other day and Kim and I just went into a giggle fit. Kim, do you remember what is currently airing on HBO Max? that seems like it really ought to be on Paramount+. Plus?
3: I can guess. Is it the Star Trek movies? Yes. Oh, yes.
2: <laughs> Every Star Trek movie is currently on HBO Max instead of Paramount+. And you're talking about non-exclusivity. That's the word that wasn't employed until recently and i'd like to think everybody has gotten a lot smarter in a hurry that should never happen the only thing that could be worse than that at least to tim would be if they had the good fight on hbo max
1: that would just be absolutely bonkers but yeah if they (laughs) lost an exclusive show but yeah that but it's the star trek network what is it doing on something that's not paramount plus Oh boy.
2: That is the mystery for the ages, right there. Folks, we've got to get smarter about this stuff. We've just got to. There's billions of dollars, and you're
0: blowing it. In our rapid fire this week, Apple revealed the plans of their 10 year deal with Major League Soccer. I hope you've got a notepad ready. Raul, break it down for us.
3: The important thing to note here is that you'll be able to subscribe to Apple's Major League Soccer Plan through Apple TV. It'll cost you $14.99 per month or $99 for the full season. But Apple TV Plus subscribers can get it for $12.99 per month or $79 for the full season. Yes, that's right. It's not part of any Apple TV Plus bundle. But you do get a small discount if you're an Apple TV Plus subscriber. So what this boils down to is that it's similar to... NBA League Pass or NHL Center Ice, except that instead of subscribing through your cable company, you'll have to do it through Apple. And while it's frustrating that it's not bundled into Apple TV Plus, I think it's going to be equally frustrating to those who want to subscribe who believe that it is part of Apple TV Plus.
1: Yes. And this is where we learned that Apple TV and Apple TV Plus
3: are two entirely separate things. That's exactly it. I imagine that more than a few people will subscribe to the streaming service, Apple TV+, Plus, believing this is what they need to do to get the MLS package, only to realize that they didn't need to do that. There's also going to be those who are confused as to whether they're going to need the Apple TV set-top box. You don't. The app is available through Roku or Amazon Fire or other set-top devices. I've, in fact, heard similar confusion from people who want to watch the Weird Al movie on the Roku channel, but they're saying, oh, I can't because I don't have a Roku, or I can't because I'm not subscribed to the Roku channel. No, you don't need a Roku, and no... You actually don't need to subscribe to the Roku channel. It's free. There's just a lot of product and brand confusion out there right now. And people are going to need a flowchart to
2: understand all of this. It's a mess. Even descriptions of soccer subscriptions are boring.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of Roku, they made another big move this week, Raul.
2: That's right. Roku
3: acquired the rights to 150 episodes of The Great British Baking Show and its many spin-offs. While it's unclear still what this means for Netflix's rights to the show and its episodes, it does mean that the first two seasons for the first time will become available in the US. These have never been available through Netflix or any other platform previously. Roku will also be airing all five seasons of The Great American Baking Show, which previously aired on ABC. And they're even going to do a new season of the Great American Baking Show. All of this is happening as Roku prepares to air their Great American Baking Show Celebrity Holiday Special, which is coming up in just a couple of weeks.
0: All right. Well, Tim. I know that we have box office to discuss this week. Yeah, and I guess we have
1: good news because mm-hmm. Black Panther Wakanda Forever came in with $181 million for the weekend, which is on the higher end of the expectations after we only had the Friday number last week. So that's a really great sign.
2: Yeah, it definitely grew more than expected. It was one of those situations where every bit of news that came in was a little bit more positive, which frankly hasn't happened much during the pandemic. So I was oh. ecstatic to see it. But this is actually twice recently smile did the same thing so we're definitely seeing an uptick aren't we yep
1: smile crossed 100 million which no one saw that coming prior to its release uh but yeah I'm, we do have to see what the hold is for the weekend i do expect a big drop it'll still be the top movie by a significant margin but that's a really good start we we knew it wasn't going to match the 200 million that the first black panther did but to have a really nice recovery from that friday number is a very good sign and i think we'll carry through and then we have the holiday weekend coming up and it should push you know uh, 400 million at that point
2: yeah and that's the other thing we should add we're recording this on Friday night so we don't have any box office numbers yet but it has already crossed the 400 million mark worldwide and it looks just really really good in terms of a cinema score really good word of mouth uh, solid Metacritic and Rotten Tomato scores the last time I looked the audience score was exceptional it was like 95 so all the supplemental metrics suggest the fact that people will say at Thanksgiving, oh, you got to see new Wakanda forever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Tim, if I can throw in something else I'd like to add, there are also some rumors, I've been chasing this story a little bit, that Wakanda Forever may not debut on Disney Plus in 2022. What Disney has done recently is they have put their MCU titles on Disney Plus as soon as possible to boost (laughs) subscriber numbers. This time
1: Roughly two months, right?
2: Right, exactly. It's 45 days is the the specific deadline and Disney has basically honored that as much as they possibly could. This one might not do that. They might want to give it more chance to breathe and just, you know, basically Disney is kind of sticking their finger in the wind and trying to take the temperature. What's going on with box office today? Is it better or not? So there's a lot of track here.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I have not seen what the holiday slate is. I know Disney has... They have an animated movie coming out over Thanksgiving, correct?
2: Yes, they've got Strange World. And right, that's right. That one, you know, I'm not sure they're expecting much from, but we're all waiting to see what Avatar 2 does.
1: Right, yeah, that's the big one. Yeah, I I, I do feel like they're just going to... They may just leave it out there and, and if it... The, Borderlands catches on. They'll let it play through through the holidays and try try to catch some of that uh, holiday box office rather than sacrifice that by putting it on Disney Plus, which I would have expected it around you know around Christmas when uh, when, it, when it's released, but if they if they hold it back, I completely understand why.
2: Right. That was absolutely what I expected was a Christmas Day debut and still might happen, but mm-hmm. there is a, a growing belief that maybe just maybe Disney's going to wait on this one. Yeah, with that
1: kind of start, I would not blame them at all.
0: Well, the ratings aren't quite as exciting, but let's talk about them anyway.
1: Yep, We have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, October 17th through Sunday, October 23rd, 2022. And after a big debut last week, unsurprisingly, The Watcher is still your most watched show, 2.5 billion minutes for the first full week of its availability. That's wow. Just out of nowhere, I feel like.
2: And we finally answered the question of who watches The Watcher. It's us. (laughs) It's all of you people. Yes.
1: Uh, We do have a couple returning and new shows this week. And second is the return of Love is Blind. Yes, the reality show from Netflix. Four new episodes for its third season premiered on the 19th of October. There'll be three more on the 26th, three more on November 2nd, and two finale episodes on November 9th. But it returns with just those new first four episodes for 683 million minutes viewed for 31 total episodes.
2: The other thing I've got to say here is we are starting to see Netflix do this trend where they're not releasing everything at once for binging and if that continues we really have just invented internet television with Netflix so
1: yeah this is not new particularly to Love is Blind, they have done this with this show before from its very first season where they, they did put it out in chunks uh, and then they went back for the first two seasons, they went back a few months later to follow up on uh, on the couples. But yeah, it's, they are starting to lean in more to this weekly model rather than just uh, binge it all at once for, for, for certain shows. Because the same is true actually of the show that's in third. This is Unsolved Mysteries. Yes, the reboot of the old Robert Stack show from the late 80s, early, early nineties. Netflix put out a new season in 2020 and a new season just arrived on, on Netflix in on October 18th. So just in time for this this ratings period. Three episodes only, however, were added of a of nine. There'll be three more on the twenty fifth and three more on November first. So this might be here a while because this is actually a very solid number of six hundred seventy-two million minutes for just 17 total episodes, which counts the the first season that they released as well.
3: Yeah. The variety of shows in the top three, all of them being Netflix, but one of them is a thriller, one of them is a reality dating show, and one of them is, I guess, a docu-reality investigative series. Just suggests here that, yeah, Netflix is reinventing television on their own terms. They have something for everyone. And unfortunately, that means that they also have things that are relatively unpleasant to most of us, but not everyone, including, of course, what's at number four?
1: Yeah, Dahmer is still here. Five hundred ninety-nine million minutes for ten episodes. Just because you sick people just can't get enough of this, but at least it's falling down the chart at this point. Uh, enough said about that. Until you know that the new season of it. Now that it's it's been uh, serialized. Oh boy. Okay. But we have a non-Netflix show in fifth. This is of course Lord of Rings: Rings of Power. Five hundred seventy million minutes viewed for eight episodes after its finale last week. So it it didn't totally fall apart. It held some of its audience. Uh, but I think we're only going to see it for another maybe you know, week or two before uh, we don't see it again until the run up to the next season. Uh, Another new show in six. This is From Scratch, 522 million minutes viewed for eight episodes. Uh, It is a drama, love story, memoir sort of thing starring uh, Zoe Saldana. Yeah, I actually heard someone uh, at work discuss it. So I was like, oh, I guess that's going to show up on the ratings and yep, here it is. Rule's favorite great British baking show, 471 million minutes for 81 total episodes. Uh, We didn't get that next can we bump, unfortunately. We were were kind of uh, hoping for from that uh, atrocity that that occurred there.
3: Yeah, I'm a little disappointed. I was on board with the philosophy that there's no such thing as bad publicity. The Mexico week was certainly a debacle as there was a lot of criticism as to the British interpretation of some classic Mexican dishes. But with all the press that was out there, I really expected that people would tune in to see what was going on. And no, right now, these numbers have pretty much held steady for the last several weeks in the 400s. In fact, uh, dipped a little bit since last week. Yeah, it's it's got its following. It's got its it's got its window. It's just the
1: episodes show up on Netflix. People watch it, and then it seems to stick around because it, it's rewatchable, wholesome content. At least it's not you know true crime or serial killers or something. So we'll we'll allow it, I guess. Uh, originals wraps up with shows we've seen before Netflix's Midnight Club in eighth 418 million minutes Andor from Disney plus seven episodes 418 million minutes as well so also still doing fine actually and The Handmaid's Tale from Hulu 53 episodes 398 million minutes this is also releasing weekly and uh, there are three more episodes to go at this point
2: yeah the thing I want to say about Andor is given the way that its buzz is growing uh, I think we're going to be talking about that on the podcast really for the rest of of 2022 no joke there's still five episodes remaining at this point it's not going anywhere if anything these numbers are going to increase
1: yep definitely had people get really excited over episodes that were more recent episodes actually that won't reflect in the ratings for another you know week week or two yeah and runs all yeah all the way through this would be the uh finale coming up next week so we won't see those numbers for for a while but yeah it's 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 going to hang in there and i'm um, it's actually had a pretty impressive showing in my book okay, over in movies and after the big surprise last week for, with uh, a Peacock debut for, for Halloween Ends, uh, the new movie, is, the top movie is something new from Netflix, The School for Good and Evil, just a bit over a billion minutes viewed. This premiered on the 18th on Netflix, so it had yeah, most of the week, but that's, that's still a very solid number for something that they had
3: really had high hopes for. Mm-hmm. Solid, not spectacular, given the cast, given the franchise it's based on. This should have been a bigger hit. Doesn't look like it was too well, well reviewed, though. And I Wonder yeah. if that that had a had an impact on it. Yeah, that may be what uh, what dragged
1: it down in the end. Uh, second, something we saw last week: the Curse of Bridge Hollow, five hundred fourteen million minutes
3: for some
1: you know Halloween themed content.
3: I'd bet that this movie cost a lot less to make than The School <laughs> for Good and Evil. It, you think? Yeah. It didn't get this week as many, uh, as high a rating as The School for Good and Evil, but it's doing almost, uh, almost as well. And it's probably a much better return on investment for Netflix than the other movie. Yeah. Uh, we still have Halloween End here. It did
1: completely collapsed in the theaters in its the second weekend, about eighty percent. But it manages three hundred and eighty-nine million minutes. And yes, this is on Peacock. It's still here. Hocus Pocus two is in for eighty six million minutes. And it just really surprises me how this existing just completely kneecapped the original Hocus Pocus in terms of appearing on the ratings. People just opted for the new one rather than watch the old one a bunch of times, which I don't know. I guess that means enough people enjoyed it to keep watching it rather than be like, oh no, it's you know, it's it's not the same. It's you know, thirty years later, let's let's just keep watching the first one.
0: Yeah. I think that's interesting. And honestly, Hocus Pocus 2 was a lot of fun. They don't waste any time, which the first film, people would scream at me, but it did. Um, (laughs) It's a little slow in the first part of the movie. And it's just the Sanderson sisters having fun, which is all anyone really wants.
1: Uh, Luckiest Girl Alive from Netflix is still here in fifth, 252 million minutes. But we have a welcome return in sixth because we've been waiting for this one. The Nightmare Before Christmas, 224 million minutes. About time, right I mean we still have a whole another week to go before uh, Halloween, which uh, fell on, on uh, Monday this year, so I think next week will really reflect reflect a lot of the Halloween theme viewing and then and then everything will disappear because they'll only really have that one day
0: yeah, there it is finally
1: yep I Bet it goes even higher next week as we, we again, like I just said, the week before Halloween. Uh, Sing 2, still hanging around in 7th, 216 million minutes. Inexplicably, Dracula Untold, uh movie from 2014, 197 million minutes. Uh, I was pretty sure I, I remembered what this one was. And yeah, it was basically where they tried to do origin story Dracula in a movie, and it actually... Did pretty well in terms of box office. Made about actually made two hundred million worldwide somehow. Fifty six million domestically. But I was like, oh wait, I think I've heard of this one. So I guess I'll give the the Halloween or October bump. I I don't quite know why it's here but i don't know there's been stranger things that have appeared on the list before
0: weird and i don't i just don't even really remember it and it's got you all are quitters it's got luke evans and dominic cooper and charles dance i mean it's got people
2: oh you all talked about this a lot at the time this was the dark universe Do you remember that?
0: Oh.
2: Universal (laughs) Pictures was going to reinvent their iconic classic monsters in a series of new films, including The Mummy Reboot and the Dracula Year Zero was what they were calling at the time origin story. And it was in development for a while. Alex Proyas was attached in like My God, 2007, I want to say it was it was like out there for a long time. And like every time news came in, it got a little bit worse and a little bit worse until eventually you could just tell stink of failure a mile out. And audiences did as well. And very, very soon after this and the mummy failed, there was no talk of the dark universe anymore. This was supposed to be the MCU for Universal, though. Remember that. Yeah, I think I only
1: recalled it because I wrote like I think the weekend preview like when it when it came out or maybe like the weekend after uh for box office profits at the time. So it like stuck in my brain as like oh yeah, it was like a, a Dracula origin story, which was just weird, but that was that was the thing, you know, in the earlier in the decade, especially with all the new superhero movies, they were all origin stories. So Why not? Origin story. Uh, Yeah, monsters. And that's, yes, I, I now that they had mentioned it, I remember the whole universal monster universe that they tried and quietly swept under the rug.
2: Yeah, this seems like a good time to mention that the person in charge of that was Michael DeLuca, the same Michael DeLuca who spent most of this summer campaigning to run the DCU. So I can't imagine why he didn't get the job
1: blackout a movie we also saw last week is still here in ninth, 192 million minutes and the evergreen Encanto still in 10th 189 million minutes i'm always saying when it's not here at this point after it stuck around on, on the list for forever and was pulling in billions of minutes in the first half of the year acquired is 10 shows we've seen before once again led by house of the dragon uh it's season now complete with 10 episodes uh, just a tad over a billion minutes all right yeah that's fine Good enough, HBO Max. Good enough.
0: I mean, you know, if since people are watching it on HBO Max and HBO, HBO, I, I would yeah, say that's that's solid, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. We're still bitter that it's acquired content, but I, I guess that's why because it's also on HBO. It's I not, yeah, it's not an HBO Max exclusive. So, fine, whatever. Okay. Uh, the center is a strong second, 935 million minutes. We saw that last week. That was the USA show that it's that completed its series, and then the new season showed up on Netflix. Uh, and thankfully, we we willed it into existence again. We have the return of The Simpsons down in ninth, 452 million minutes for its 667 episodes.
2: They're definitely listening. It, al- it always makes my heart sing a little when The Simpsons is here.
3: I have to believe that Treehouse of Horror was a large factor for that.
1: That's a good point, actually. Yeah, overall, it is a pretty quiet week. We do have that big number from from the Watcher, and I, I'm interested to see where Love is Blind and Unsolved Mysteries do go with the addition of episodes over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but yeah, and then uh, well, now that House of the Dragon is is done, I'm I'm interested in what happens there as well. But yeah, otherwise, not that big a week. So we'll we'll see what happens uh, with the Halloween content next week.
0: All right. Yeah, that'll be fun to see. Thanks, Tim, and our green lights and cancellations this week. Netflix has picked up Gringo Hunters, a thriller from Imagine Television based on the Washington Post feature about Mexican police who track down American fugitives.
3: I'm sure someone's going to protest how this demonizes American criminals who flee to Mexico. I mean, how dare Mexican authorities chase
0: down (laughs) Americans who
3: are in their country illegally?
0: (laughs) Sounds about right. Apple TV Plus has picked up a series produced by Lionsgate and Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg's Point Grey Pictures. It's a comedy about a legacy Hollywood studio trying to survive in the modern era.
3: Ooh, topical. (laughs) Rogen is set to star and direct. Point Grey Pictures has a production deal with Lionsgate, which has already produced the Emmy-nominated Pam and Tommy for Hulu. Nice. Nice.
0: Over at Prime Video, another series that's long been hibernating, Hunters starring Al Pacino, will be ending after season two.
3: This is a lot like the Carnival Road news from last week. It's like Amazon had forgotten they had these shows in production. And now that the second season is finally getting released, they're Cleaning House.
0: As always, we close out the show with what's been keeping us busy over the past week. And for me, David and I caught up on a few more episodes of Interview with the Vampire. Claudia has arrived. And for those of you who are familiar with Claudia, you know that that's kind of a big deal. And everything about her story is amazing. I do think Anne Rice would have been really delighted with this series if she had lived to see it. Thoroughly enjoying the show. It's dark and everything Interview with the Vampire should be. Raul.
3: How about you? I'm going to tell you about Star Trek Lower Decks on Paramount+. Plus. I wrapped up season three this week and wrapped up sounds pretty ominous right now. A number of multi-season storylines appeared to meet their conclusion with this season's finale and there wasn't even a cliffhanger. That had me worried. It feels like the writers had basically enough material for three seasons and they wrapped up everything they had to tell us. Fortunately, Paramount Plus isn't done with them. They have uh, greenlit a fourth season which is now in the works. This, Star Trek Lower Decks, is the Star Trek animated series with a comedic twist. This season in fact had a, a bit more drama than in seasons past which was a little bit surprising but not at all off-putting. Overall, it was a lot more of the same with Ensign's Boimler and Mariner and the rest of the Cerritos crew carrying on their misadventures as Lower Deckers our protagonists always get the short end of the stick when it comes to duties and responsibilities. In this season, that a that approach was extended to the ship itself and the entire California class of vessels who always get cleanup duty after more recognizable ships like the Enterprise finish their job. For example, a major plot point this season is how the Cerritos is tasked with the responsibility of second contact. Visiting planets after other ships have already had first contact. While the series has a number of in-jokes that will mostly be appreciated by Star Trek fans, it's light enough that almost anyone can pick it up quickly and enjoy it. The whole season is only 10 episodes long, and each episode is less than 30 minutes in length. So it's great for binge-watching, and I hope we get, in fact, a lot more than just a fourth season.
2: It's great comfort viewing. We have strong opinions about Star Trek Lower (laughs) Deck.
0: We do. Tim, what do you have strong opinions about? Well,
1: Kim, you you kind of made the same joke I was about to make uh, with your intro, but because the only thing I really watched this week was possibly a finale, but not, not quite a series finale, but <laughs> yes. the finale of Twitter. Yes, you know, because of a series of ridiculous acts by a colossal idiot, the platform is likely on the verge of collapse. It's still alive as we record this, but it just feels like the entire medium could vanish at any moment now. Yeah. So, just the other night was just kind of amazing. The entire vibe was like the last day of high school, and you were trying to get everyone to sign your yearbook, swearing to people you'd keep in contact, even though you were and <laughs> never going to speak to them again. I mean, people brought up their favorite, you know, tweets or other moments of just you know days on the platform, like you know days when, you know, Trump did something or whatever, <laughs> you know, we, we, we called it the hell site, but you know, we did so with affection. And if it goes away, I'm sure there will be an accepted replacement somewhere. Please don't be Mastodon. Uh, but it, it really just won't be the same. <sighs> you suck, Elon.
0: He really does. But yeah, there has been a lot of entertaining moments coming from this implosion. Mm-hmm. Okay, David, how about you?
2: Like Tim and Kim, I have also watched the implosion of Twitter, which has been hysterical to watch. As someone recognizes their grotesque incompetence in front of hundreds of millions of people simultaneously, I've enjoyed that. But I've also been reading Bubble Ball, Inside the NBA's Fight to Save a Season. As a Disney writer by trade, I covered the aspects that were important to me of the NBA finishing its season at Walt Disney World. And since Bill Gulliver was on the inside with the NBA team, I was really looking forward to this. I'm about eight chapters in, and it's been kind of a strange mixed message so far. For example, he kind of made a hero out of Kyrie Irving for his stance, which we've later discovered was incredibly disingenuous on any number of levels. And the author, Ben Golliver, also had a fascinating health issue that almost caused him to have to miss this, and it created a surprising amount of intrigue at one point in the book. I'm thoroughly captivated by it, And I can't wait to see what someone who had no connection to Disney whatsoever actually wound up thinking after they were embedded there
0: during a pandemic for several months. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week.